There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That is six o'clock. And good morning to all of you faithful listeners. The signal is strong today. And I am Sid Wright. Starting your day right. Hopefully with your first cup of mellow ground in your hand. And if you're just tuning in, I am now on day four of my hosting vigil. If you hear my voice strain or crack, spare me a thought through my suffering. But I promise you this, listeners. I will continue this broadcast as long as I'm able. And don't worry. The station has my lucky successor lined right up. Because the signal will not end. This daily grind of ours will not cease. And our work is never done. These are the Silt Verses. And today, I'd like to give a shout-out to the following disciples, in order of their appearance. David S. Deer as Sid Wright. Jimmy Yamaguchi as Hayward. Mintaka Angel as Felix. And Derek Hill as Mr. Finch. Created by John Ware and Muna Hassan. Audio production by Sammy Holden. Next up, after these messages, it's time for some classic rhythm and blues. All my long and dying days by Tony Felix, you there? This is Felix, live and receiving. To comply with operational safety procedures, we will remain on mute until we hear a recognized greeting signal. You've been heard. You already know it's me. Felix. I'm too tired for this. Felix? Felix, Felix, receiving Iris 9. You have been mustered. Iris 9, this is Felix. You have been heard. What can I help you with today? Well, Felix, I just wanted to wish you a very good morning and call you a horse's ass. And good morning to you, Investigating Officer Hayward. Can I offer you a Hosanna to the cloak today? That's all right for now. Thank you. Can you, um, confirm the address of the farmhouse I'm headed to? I'm just crossing the dam now. Of course. You're headed to... 41 Silkwood Drive, on the Upper Rose. Silkwood Drive. Like something out of a dream. Still sleeping, Hayward? (laughs) More than possible. Call for backup if you need it. Maybe get a coffee en route. And don't forget your gun this time. Thank you so much, Felix. You have been heard. If there is a wider societal problem out there that needs to be addressed, for me it comes down to this. Country people just take their gods too seriously. I suppose it comes naturally with being so exposed to the elements. 
I was called out once, years ago, to a farm outside of the Giant's Rest. They had this little boy, maybe six or seven, and he lived on the top floor of the house. And every night when the storms came and he was lying in bed, he'd hear thunder raging over him. Clap, clap. It sounded like something huge was coming over the hill, sweeping towards his window, getting closer and closer. And then slowly fading away again, as if it didn't have permission to enter. And the little boy would begin to whisper, It's alright, you can come in, I'm not afraid of you. You can come in, I want to see your face. And he'd fancy that the sound was changing in response to his words. Great long bursts and short cracks, as if the thunder in the night was speaking to him. So, the little boy would try to answer back, clapping his hands together in sequence, clap, 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 speaking the language of the thunder in the night, willing it to have meaning. Come in. You can come in. I want to see your face. When we finally came to the farm, it looked as if a bomb had struck it from within. Window pane shattered, the walls torn and dangling. Stray bricks rolling down the hillside. The mother and father were lying in bed together, blood and insides of their head pooling down onto the pillows from their shattered ears. The echoes continued for months afterwards, deafening rolls of thunder shaking the hillside and snapping the police tape, coming now from somewhere deep inside the house. The boy was deaf but he'd left him alive. He was traumatized, of course, spent the next seven years in a ward racked with guilt and shock. He couldn't understand how his own imaginings, his private dream speak with the thunder in the night had led to this. This is what I mean. Everyone wants a personal relationship with the divine, but none of us are really equipped to handle the consequences. Myself, I get up and I go to the coffee machine every morning, and it's already stamped with a prayer for the Saint Electric, beseeching her for a coffee that's nice and hot. And most days, it's good coffee, but some days it's not and I just spare her a thought and think, that's okay, you probably had other things going on. But out here, you think it'd kill them to show a little insincerity. And the crazy thing is that if it's sacrifice they need, any civilized society is willing to make concessions. Every new tower they build in Gladditch, every new housing development that's constructed in the Slag King's name, begins the same way, with two condemned criminals who are dragged out before the cheering crowds and tossed down into the foundations, and the cement is sluiced over them as they struggle and kick, and all of us understand that this is a necessary thing. It's just these damned hicks who refuse to play by the rules. I already know what I'm going to find at 41 Silkwood Drive. Because I've been here before and I know the signs. I know it as I pull in at the muddy track, beside a printed sign that is hung with oyster shells upon strings and marked with white painted symbols that I do not recognize. 
I know it as I see the thick razor wire hung from the boundary fence. I know it as I come to a halt before the crumbling facade of the farmhouse and catch a glimpse, just a glimpse, of an unhappy wrinkled face glaring down at me. The curtain twitches, then is decisively drawn. Beside the driveway stands a grand and fetid chicken wire coop crudely assembled, perhaps once home to hens or rabbits. Empty now, other than for the droppings. Nobody, it seems, is coming out to meet me. Felix, you there? Hey, Felix, you up? How can I help, Investigating Officer Hayward? Over. I've arrived at the, uh, is it a domicile? How would you define a domicile? Any house is a domicile. Not this one. I don't think it's much of anything. You're at the farm, Hayward? I am, and they're not coming out. Think it might be trouble? Yes. But let me remain open to the possibility that I'm mistaken. I think I'd like a Hosanna of Determination. Uh, please. You have been heard. Stand by for the cloak. I will stand with you, partner. Outside the silent door, partner, my stout nod matching yours. Your courage defines me, partner. Your firmness completes me, partner. Together, we shall not fail. Thank you, Felix. You have been heard. Don't forget your gun, Hayward. It was some comrades of mine in the Greater Glottage Police Officers Union who first raised the questions 20 years back. Why should law enforcement not have a god of our own? Other marginalized and misunderstood groups were allowed gods after all, and even our nation's frontline troops could mutter their pleas to the kind-eyed colonel with the bushy mustache when they were feeling lonely or afraid. Really, what ungrateful sort of message were we sending? What did it say about the misplaced sympathies of our society? If there was no recognized and licensed god to watch over our brave boys and girls in uniform... Petitions were written. Politicians were asked questions about it. They agreed with us, inevitably, that something had to be done, that whoever was holding us back had to get a taste of their own medicine for once. And so, out of spite and self-importance, we gave birth to the cloak, a silent partner who could walk with you in those dark places an authority who could reassure you that the decisions you were making were the right ones, a friend who could provide you with that sense of unshakable righteousness that every police officer needs. At first, the top brass didn't much care other than it was popular and kept the unions busy, but then they realized that religion could make for one hell of a cost-saving measure. Because... Why should a detective need a partner in the car with them when they had the cloak on their side? Like I said, I don't take these things too seriously, but sometimes, all the same, it helps to hear that voice. 
Mr. Finch? My name's Hayward. I'm a special investigating officer with the Greater Glottage Police Authority, specializing in religious criminality. Huh? I'm a policeman, Mr. Finch. Could see that from the car. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to hear about the body that was found in the road about a mile from here, around three months back? A teenage boy? It was part of a group of four ramblers that had been reported missing. He was uh, heavily emaciated, with uh, autophagic marks around the fingers and the palms of his hands. Autophagic? He'd begun to eat himself, Mr. Finch. I know you'll remember this body because local law enforcement visited every farm in a six-mile radius to conduct inquiries, including this one. They would have carried out a thorough sweep of every property searching for the other three ramblers. I didn't say I didn't remember. I remember. The copper came around and didn't know what he was doing. He was young, too. Younger than you, even. Are you saying that he didn't conduct a thorough sweep, Mr. Finch? Should we look again? Didn't say that. Anyway... This boy. The thing is, we'd all but written it off until last week. We got a fresh tip. Anonymous source. I know. I'm excited, too. How are your crops doing this year, Mr. Finch? Looks like, uh, wheat you're growing here? That's right. Wheat. So you must worship, um, Sweet Jolly Crunch Tooth. That's right. Sweet, jolly crunch tooth. You know, I can't imagine how it must feel to have to prostrate yourself before a, a cereal mascot. I've met farmers down south who just refuse to go along with it. They bankrupt themselves, but they will not do business with the corporation. They will not build the shrines. And can you blame them? I know it's a hard choice to make when it's your livelihood at stake, but... I'd find that entire way of life demeaning. Out here, we do as we're told. No other gods on your farm that I should know about? Husband's got a mural up in the lavatory to the flush divine. Don't think that's a matter for the police, though. I think I'd like to see your fields, Mr. Finch. Got nothing to hide. Yes, I'm sure. Sweet Jolly Crunch Tooth. I don't even know how they come up with these names. There are a hundred thousand different forms of harvest worship across the peninsula, and for a very long time nobody knew how to keep track of them, least of all how to monetize it. So, this serial conglomerate, it decides to go about it backwards. You design the god on the shredded wheat packets. You sell it to consumers with a catchy, multi-channel advertising campaign. We heap our praises upon Sweet Jolly Crunch Tooth for the gift of a nutritious breakfast. You put the mascot on the lorries, and you blanket the farms with flyers explaining that they're old gods of the harvest, grinning scarecrows, leafy green men, and faceless corn dolls, are now this guy. 
this sentient parcel of shredded wheat with the bulging eyes and the grinning toothed mouth that takes up most of his body. And he eats shredded wheat, even though he is, of course, made of shredded wheat. I mean, it's a nightmare. But the funny thing is, it worked, for the most part. Farmers spat when they said Sweet Jolly Crunchtooth's name, but they still said it. And eventually, with the long years and decades, they stopped spitting. By and large, the new status quo settled over the fields. But of course, you'll always get some reckless son or daughter of the harvest who decides that things were better the way they were before, or they wonder if they'd just do better making a sacrifice to old Jack of the Thousand Years like their forefathers used to. When that happens, there are always signs left behind. Prayer signs woven in wheat tails, offerings of blood and bone in baked clay jars half buried in the soil. Sometimes the sign of a god's favor is only in the crops that have grown higher and thicker than nature should allow. Although, I have to say, that doesn't seem to be the case here. The weed ears are hanging above us and around us, thick and plentiful, but... There are brown tufts of rot here and there upon the stalks, and the tips are drooping unhappily in the heat. I can no longer hear the chattering of birds. And the funny thing is, the further we go, the worse it gets. Don't walk too fast, Mr. Finch! There are no farmhands in sight, I realize. No other signs of life. Occasionally, we pass a parked tractor or thresher tipped into the dirt, but this abandoned machinery wears a forlorn veil of dust and glistening dew that suggests it hasn't been used in quite some time. By all appearances, we're alone, the old man and me, amongst the dying ears of wheat. My stomach gurgles with discontent. I should have had that coffee, I think and I glance back over my shoulder, then once more to the right and left to check that we aren't being followed. That's when I see the shack. Far off, in the distance, buried amongst the wheat rows, the tin roof just barely visible in the glint of the sun. My guide is striding away in the opposite direction, leading me deeper into the fields with what now seems very much like deliberate haste. Mr. Finch! Hmm? I'd like to see what's in that outhouse, please. Thought you wanted to see the fields first. I'm mercurial, Mr. Finch. I'm like the ocean. Let's make a detour. He glowers at me, his fists clenching, like he wants to hit me or yell something defiant. But then he nods and turns, and as he catches me up, we stroll together in silence, back through the fields towards the hidden shack. The building is large and squat, set into a low hollow within the earth to conceal its true size. The windows have been boarded up with wood, and there's a thick iron padlock on the door. Mr. Finch. Huh? 
I sense that developing between us is something of a mutual understanding, perhaps even mutual respect, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> then let me be clear with you that if you open this outhouse door and inside we discover the victim or victims of an illegal ritual killing, I will be really very annoyed. Do we understand one another? I never killed anyone, copper. He unlocks the door and pushes it ajar. We spend some time standing before the threshold, making impatient faces at each other and gesturing in silence that, no, you go first, really, until finally he gives up, turns, and steps into the shack ahead of me. I follow him in. Perhaps disappointingly, the shack interior looks to be mundane. Shelves stacked with paint cans, hanging tools on the walls, instruments of earthcraft. But then, a second later, I feel the floorboards quiver, and from somewhere beneath my feet, I can make out the steady, rhythmic chukka 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 of some great and complicated machine. The noise is endless, and it maintains its volume and pitch. Mr. Finch is watching me, not even glaring any longer. He looks immensely resolved. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's go downstairs, I tell him. And I watch as he nods, peels back the tatty rug in the corner of the shack, and leans down to twist the hidden iron hatch upwards. The sound of the great underground chorus fills my ears. It's everywhere. I don't ask him what that noise is. He doesn't tell me. I'll go first. Like you told me to. He swings his legs down into the hole and clambers down, descending rapidly from view. I realize my mistake straight away, but by then it's already too late. It's pitch black down there. I can't see where he is or what he's doing, and the only sound is the churn of the infernal machine. Fuck. Mr. Finch! Mr. Finch! Could you come back up here? Please? Mr. Finch? He doesn't hear me, or he pretends not to hear me. I have no option. I turn and swing my own legs down onto the creaking ladder and descend into the black. I don't unholster my gun. At this point, I'm not sure it'd help. After eight steps, my feet tentatively hit ground. Dirt, I think. The machine is somewhere before me, or all around me. Chuck, 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 chuck. The light switch is behind you. The voice echoes back out at me from somewhere in the darkness. My stomach, illogically and absurdly, is growling. A sudden stabbing pain that makes me wince. Keep it together, idiot. 
My hand fumbles, finding the wall, reaching too high and too low, finally locating something hard and plastic that compresses with a click. The lights blink twice, and then the cellar is illuminated. The walls are writhing. The earth around the cellar is packed with life, pale, emaciated bodies so tightly packed that they're pressed up against the chicken wire, their yellowing buff teeth feverishly, unceasingly gnawing at the metal at each other, tearing through flesh, pulling at fur, swallowing, gasping with relief, biting down again. These were rabbits once. Hundreds, if not thousands of rabbits. An impenetrable, twisting mass of hunger. The sound is unceasing. Chukka, chukka, chukka. I take a step back, turn, and come to a halt. Mr. Finch has found a shotgun. He's pointing it at me. You were right, Copper. There is a god in these fields. Would you like to meet it? I don't think so. Just a walk through the wheat. Then a crawl. Or perhaps we stay here. I'll lock you in with the bunnies, and as they gnaw at you, you'll nod back at them. And in their wretched hunger, and in yours, you'll come to understand it. Mr. Finch, I'd like to help, but you're going to have to stop threatening me. The first copper wasn't so curious. He didn't even come this far out. We thought it was protecting us. Perhaps it just wasn't hungry enough. Maybe it lured you in here because you're exactly what it's been looking for. He's distracted. I could definitely lunge forward and make it halfway across the distance towards him before he pulls the trigger and shoots me dead. Instead, I stoop and I sit cross-legged in the dirt. Get up! Shant. Think I won't shoot you right there on the floor? No. But you're a foot shorter than me, and I'll be a bastard to move. Mr. Finch, tell me about the god that's in your fields. Old family deity, a harvest god perhaps, those can be the hardest. Not that. Never that. What then? Because you told me earlier that you never killed anyone. And it's a little strange to begin by shooting a police officer because he finds your secret pet collection. I meant that, Copper. Never killed anyone. You understand, it's just semantics if you're gonna tell me your shotgun killed them, don't you? It was an accident. That's what I mean, you bloody fool. It was all just an accident. Can you tell me more? I think I might understand. You don't understand anything, Copper. You just want me to talk. Do you really not 
want to talk. What are the rabbits for, Mr. Finch? Only thing that breeds quickly enough out here. I refill them once a month. Feed them twice a day. A few of them starve, but when the others get hungry enough, they'll eat the bodies of the ones that came before. So I don't even need to worry about clearing out the tunnels. It's a system that works. Feeling a little weak, too, are you? I don't need to shoot you, copper. We can just wait here and talk while it eats us both. This far out? It'll take a while. It's a god of hunger. It's the bastard that ruined us. Does it have a name? Harold called it the Hollow. We didn't mean to give it significance. That's just what it was. A hollow out in the fields where nothing grew. We made a joke of it, you know? We go out and stand on the edge of it together, and we toss in the seed and whisper, Grow! Grow, barren soil! Empty earth! Grow! But nothing did grow. The hollow grew instead. We began marking the boundaries of it as it expanded. The wheat kept dying, and the earth sank as it died, getting wider and deeper. Before long, we couldn't even approach it without our bellies growling. A few months later, we couldn't approach it at all. You could see the warblers spinning and swirling in the sky. Gorgeous little dark bodies in flight. And when they cross over the hollow, they drop out of the sky. A rain of birds withering as they struck the dead earth. The closer you got, the more you could feel it, tearing away at your insides. And the closer you got, the more things seemed to shift. The soil became sky, and the sky became soil, and everything was fodder for the great dark mouth that was rising up out of the heart of our fields. Harold said we hadn't prayed enough to sweet Jolly Crunch too. We should have just signed the premium contract when the monks come around with their pesticide sensors, but it wasn't anything to do with anybody else. This was something new, and we called it into being. We willed it into life, the two of us, and it was our responsibility. The rabbits were Harold's idea. You have to uh, achieve equilibrium, he said. There's no sub in this place now, so we need to find a way of living with this thing. The god is hungry, so it's moving outwards. If we feed it enough, maybe it'll stop growing, at least until it's finished. So, the rabbits. We tried our best to contain it. We thought we could outlast it. And the ramblers? You saw the barbed wire, didn't you? We tried to keep people out. Stupid bastards climbed right over it so they could take a shortcut across the old footpath. They tried to walk right through the middle of it. We didn't know a damn thing until we heard them crying. Help me. I need to eat. 
Help me, please. I need to eat, and I don't know where I am. You can see them lying out there. Too starved to move. Their legs as thin as bone, reaching out their arms for anything. Soil, flesh, within their grasp. We couldn't reach them. Not without the hollow taking us as well. Soon enough, they stopped. One of them got out. I'm the sorriest for him of all. Nobody deserves what happened to them. But the funny thing was, afterwards, for the first time since it started, the hollow drew back. Not by much, just a couple of feet. You can imagine what a relief that was. We figured out the rules of it. We found a way to drive it back and save the farm. But you need to keep feeding it. I wouldn't have done it. But you had to consider the possibility, didn't you? Just intellectually. What if we took down the barbed wire and opened up the footpath again? And if people chose to come that way, it was their choice, not ours. You had to consider it, if only to say it out loud. That have caught you quicker. Harold thought I was a damn fool as well. Worse than that, he was ashamed of me. We spent 30 years building this farm. We grew it together. If we wanted to keep it, we had to find a way to adapt. I... I thought he understood that. Where is your husband now, Mr. Finch? Woke up one morning and the bed was empty. Clothes were gone. He didn't leave me a note. I thought people were supposed to leave notes for each other so you know where they've gone. Carl was still in the driveway. He'd taken his keys. I went out and drove around, looking for him. Spent all day at it. But then I had to get home. The hollow needed to be fed. I still don't know if he walked out into the hills or if he went the other way. Out into the fields. I'm so sorry, Mr. Finch. This isn't something you should have needed to deal with. This isn't something anyone should have to deal with. You're one of them nice coppers, aren't you? I had a farmhand like you once. He said the nice words and the good morning and thank you. He meant every word he said. And there was a bonus that talking so sweetly led us to trust him with the storehouse keys so he could pilfer from our pay box each morning. He even apologized nicely when the police let him off, but there was no reflection in it. He just liked the shape of the words. You, copper, you'll say your nice, sympathetic words and... I'll put my gun down, and, and then you'll cuff me and haul me off to the jailhouse and ease to be tried for what? Manslaughter? Yes. But I promise you, I'll be nice about it. You're the worst of them, then. Rather it than you. 
This is when he takes a step forward, swings his arm down, and knocks me in the side of the head with the butt of his shotgun. The shock is instantaneous. The pain comes a moment later. I fall back, clutching at my head, screaming. And the second blow comes down upon my foot. Something cracks. I hear the shotgun fall, tossed idly aside. I hear the clank of his footfalls upon the ladder. One small mercy. He doesn't slam the hatch shut, but leaves it open. Perhaps this just means that he doesn't want another death on his conscience. Or perhaps we really did have a rapport. In the moment, regrettably, I take it as evidence that he wants to be saved. Mr. Finch! Mr. Finch, come back! I turn and flail around, and I see the old man's back, already some distance away from me, vanishing into the wheat. I give chase, limping and cursing just as fast as I can. Do you think I won't shoot you, Mr. Finch? The deeper he leads me into the fields, the worse the wheat crop begins to look. Sagging heads, brown stalks, dead harvest. At first, the wheat is looming over our heads. After a few minutes' walk, it's barely at waist height. And then, it's gone. We're walking through dry earth, a great circle of dead, dry earth, and the distant waving wheat heads are visible again in front of us, far ahead and to the left and right, but he's leading me forward into a vast and empty circle where nothing grows, carrying us downwards. I cannot see the center. They'll never know this was an accident, Mr. Finch. They'll think you killed them. They'll think you killed Harold, too. I'll... I'll tell them. I'll... Ugh. Something in me gurgles. I stoop double. I can feel it already. The weakness. The agony of starvation. The juices of my stomach broiling. The wilted weed ears tremble in the wind before me, reaching out haltingly towards me, like the tendrils of some vast ocean anemone. We're getting too close. I swear I can see the muscle and flesh stripping away from my quarry as Mr. Finch strides unhesitatingly into the hollow, flakes of skin like ash floating away into the fields. Mr. Finch! Mr. Finch! Don't take another step! Please, stop walking! He doesn't stop walking, and he doesn't turn to look, even though his legs are buckling and his emaciated head is drooping now upon an empty neck. And then, quite suddenly, he topples, falling sideways and down into the chasm, and I can no longer see him. A moment later, 
the knot of pain in my stomach seems to lighten. I fall to my knees and breathe and choke. When I look up again, sky and ground have reasserted themselves in their usual positions. The hollow is just that, a broad, wide dent in the earth, the kind that might be natural or caused by some kind of heavy machinery. It's fed, and it's sated. On the far side of the pit, I can make out tattered rucksacks torn and fluttering in the breeze like colorful flags. <sighs> On my way back through the fields, I stumble across the body of a dormouse, tiny and shriveled, its ribs like a fine comb poking through dried up skin, its gaping teeth caught around its own tail, a perfect little coil of pain and hunger. I don't know why, but this is what makes me break down. The cleanup crew arrives just before dusk. I make my report and leave them to it. They'll attempt to find some way of destroying the hollow in the fields, whether through explosives or exorcism, and if they can't, rabbits are cheap. Sometimes when you can't put an end to things, it's better just to keep them stable. It's a system that works. Rover 9? Rover 9 receiving GL444, over. What is it, Felix? How far have you gotten? Um, about six miles down the road. Do I need to head back to the farm? No. No, there's something else. A town further upriver. Marcel's Crossing. They found something... Honestly, the details I'm getting through are garbled. Possible false faith activity. <sighs> Alright. I'll head that way now. Let me know if there's a hotel I can stay at. Would you like another Hosanna, Eward? Not right now. Thank you. I... I think I just want to listen to the music. 